Uh, turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, if you're brand new to the church, we're walking through a study in the book of Daniel to kind of learn how can we learn from the role modeling of somebody that lived an extraordinary life that dared to be different. Uh, what I really want is for us to dare to be different, to live lives that people are, have to take notice of, right? Like Jesus must be alive and active if that person's living like that, acting like that, being like that. I want us to shine brightly for Christ. The very purpose that we are here is to bring him glory, yeah? And if we're gonna do that, how do we need to bring change or challenge or transformation in our own lives that we might glorify him more? That's really what we're chasing after. So we're in part six of it. Last time we were together, we were telling the story about that crazy, the hand shows up out of nowhere and writes on the wall and it says the Babylonian kingdom is over and the Medo-Persian empire rises up and Daniel was in the middle of it all. That's where we took off last time. So let's go ahead and begin, but I have a couple thoughts for you. You see, I'm about to tell you one of the most popular stories in the entire Bible. Raise your hand if you know Daniel in the lion's den. Yeah, Okay. If you don't know that, you're in for a treat. This is an incredible story. But here's the reality. Daniel is going to have a choice. Compromise and stay alive or maintain his integrity and die. He went to the lion's den when he made his call. But all Christians are tempted to compromise each and every day, and it's way easier to cave. But God has called us to do what is right despite the cost, so the big question is, will we? If you're following along on the app, there's a fill in the blank there. If not, maybe you're taking notes, just write this down. Compromise is good for business, bad for integrity. Compromise is good for business, it's bad for integrity. You see, daring to be different means doing what is right despite the cost. I want to clarify something I said last week. Last week we were together and I said, the reason why I think that Daniel was so bold and could stand up to the king and call him out the way he did was because he was 80. Do you remember that? That was, my, that was my big word of wisdom. And then I was thinking about it this week, and I thought, well, let me clarify something, because just being older doesn't make us stronger. Here's what I mean. We can age with compromise, and we will never be more bold than we were at the beginning. Aging with courage creates powerful silver saints but it's the case with all of us, right? The more we say, yes, Lord, the more we walk in risk with him, the more we trust, the more we deny ourselves, the more powerful we become. But if we cut corners, if we take the easy road, if we compromise, then we will simply just have more candles on our cake and not more courage in our hearts, yeah? It's not just getting older, it's logging more time with Jesus. That's what makes us powerful, yeah? Turn with me, if you haven't already, page 743, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, reading out of the ESV. Here's how it starts. It pleased Darius, the new Medo-Persian leader, to set over his new kingdom 120 satraps, or protectors of the kingdom. We'll call them just leaders. They were to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them, over all 120, there were three high officials of whom Daniel was one of them to whom the leaders would all give account so the king might not suffer any loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the high officials and all the leaders because an excellent spirit was in him. 
And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Real quick question before we move on. How did Persia know anything about Daniel? I mean, this is a Jewish guy. Like in the last regime, which was Babylonian, one king thought he was awesome, one king didn't utilize him, like people were all over the map. How in the world did a whole new empire come in and be like, yeah, I want that dude? Where did that come from? I'm gonna say it's reputation. Most scholars believe it had to do with the handwriting on the wall thing, that kind of gets around, right? If any of you are struggling with a disembodied hand in your house, I have a gentleman who will help you out, right? It was on his business card, he handed out. But I think that by this time in history, empires were wise enough to realize when you're taking over a ton of territory and a ton of people, it doesn't make any sense to just wipe everybody out because then you have no stability. So they started learning that when you go into a new area and you take it over, you interview and find out who you want to keep and who you want to get rid of. Think of it like a hostile takeover of a company, right? You don't just get rid of everyone or you're all starting from scratch. You want some consistency. So what you do is you interview, find out who was loyal to the old style. They got to go and figure out who can accommodate the new changes. You keep them. Either way, Daniel's reputation got him the interview, and he was in. But I got another question for you, probably one you'd never even bother to ask. Who's Darius? You're like, well, it says he's the king. All right, cool. Here's the problem. History and the Bible says that Cyrus is king. So is Cyrus king or is Darius king? You're like, I don't know. Well, that's why we pay you. Okay, cool. So I went and I went ahead and did some research on that and tried to figure that one out. A little complicated. Because you really have two choices. Your first choice is they're the same guy. Meaning that his empire name was Cyrus, but his local name was Darius. That is how some people view this. How they could simultaneously be ruling at the same time because the words in the language here could mean where it says, and Daniel prospered during the reign of King Darius also being King Cyrus. Right? So you go, all right, well maybe it's the same guy. Mm, there's a problem with that. And the problem is Darius was known as Darius the Mede, and Cyrus was known as a Persian king. Now, as much as they're the Medo-Persian Empire, those are not the same people groups. Medes are different than Persians. So it's probably not the same guy. It is probably that Cyrus is the big dog leader of the whole empire, and Darius is the localized leader. They're both rulers, so they both get the name king, but there is only one supreme leader, and that is Cyrus. All right, cool, here we go. Here's how we make it personal. If Daniel rose up and they wanted him and his reputation was that good, what does it mean for you and I? Here's the question. Are you serving the Lord so powerfully and doing your job so well that you're rising up in your company? Should you be? There were times that Daniel did everything right and they didn't use him. Sometimes they used him and he, and he rose up. But he was consistently awesome. No matter who the leader was, he was solid. Either they recognized it or they didn't recognize it. When it came to him, he was lights out. Is that you? You're like, well, pastor, you know, I have my priorities in a way where it's kind of like I'm really into God, I'm really into my family, like I only work 
so that I can live different. It's not like my whole life. Okay, I am super cool with your core values. Those are absolutely accurate. Here's the problem. The people at work did not hire you to evangelize. They hired you to do a job. And they don't know anything about your God. And they don't know anything or care at all about anything about your spiritual life. All they know is that if you don't have a high work ethic, they don't respect you. If they don't respect you, they don't want to listen to anything you have to say. So if we're going to be effective in our workplace for sharing the Lord, we need to do something that makes sense to them. What does that mean? It means you work hard. You make the company better by your presence. Because if you don't, they associate Christianity with poor work ethic. And that is never a good idea. Daniel had this solid work ethic, and they wanted to be around him. They wanted him in the company. See, daring to be different means living and working with integrity. Living and working with integrity. Because it shines brighter. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Then the high officials and the leaders sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. That's intense. So what did they do? They came up with this plan, and here was their plan. I'm going to paraphrase for you. They come up to the king, and they're like, king, we're totally all in on this, which isn't really true, but they made it sound like that. They're like, so here's the plan. For the next 30 days, we want to lock you in as our leader. We want to make sure that nobody does anything without your approval. Nobody gets to pray. Nobody gets to make big decisions unless you're involved. They don't get to consult the gods. You are now the mediator between them and God. You're going to be like God to us. You're going to do that for a month. Is that good? And he's like, okay, cool. And they're like, well, you got a sign right here, man. You know that this is irrevocable, right? Like, this is the law of the Medes and the Persians. He's like, man, I work here. I own this place. I know what I'm signing. So he signs it and locks it down. They're like, got him. Because they couldn't find any openings to get Daniel other than anything to do with his God. Huh. Why are they doing all this? They're jealous, yeah? I mean, they don't want him to succeed. Like, they want to be the big dog. They're jealous. But let me ask you a question. Is, is there ever a time when light irritates darkness? Have you guys ever had that in your life? Where light just irritates darkness. Like, your goodness somehow ticks off their badness. You ever had that happen? I've actually had that happen a number of times in my life. One of them was the first time I ever got bullied into buying drugs. I thought this was so weird. I'm in Jamaica. Dude walks up to me in a parking lot. You want to buy some drugs? I was like, nope. He's like, everyone's doing it. I was like, whoa, back off, dude. You're wearing a parka on a hot day. I'm not taking advice from you. You don't even know what you're doing. And I was like, don't try to browbeat me into buying drugs. I'm not doing that, right? There's just certain times when it was kind of like, listen, oh, you're going to be a goody two-shoes, you're going to do this, and there was like some agitation. There's a certain degree where it should kind of ripple the waters because you're a believer. That certain people are going to be like, mm, I don't know if we want to bring them to the party. There should be a little ripple of, oh, I don't know, they're, they're kind of into that God stuff. 
There should be some of that going on, right? Hmm. You see, the way I look at it is that a lot of Christians, they assume all the resistance that happens to them is because of persecution. Man, it's because I'm a Christian. They don't like me. They don't like me. They don't like me because I'm a Christian. No, they don't like you because you're not a good person. Well, they don't like me. It's persecution. It's persecution. No, you're a jerk. Like, you have a bad personality, right? Oh, man, there's always going to be persecution. Okay, can we please stop defaulting to persecution? It's not all persecution. Sometimes you're just not nice, right? And that's going to have an effect. But there is times when it is legitimate, and you just got to figure out and sort out why are you irritating people? Is it for the right reasons or for the wrong reasons? Yeah? All right, let's, let's keep moving forward. They couldn't find a weakness in Daniel. This guy was like bulletproof. So let's make it personal. What's your weakness? I was in seminary. You guys mind if I take off this jacket? It is so hot in here. I'm like, what, do I want to look cute or what do I want to do here? You know what I'm saying? It's a t-shirt, come on. All right. <laughs> Jacket's stupid. It's like, it's like eight million degrees in here. I'm in seminary and we were going through and trying to talk about the inner life of a pastor and so the, the teacher says, all right, everybody pull out a piece of paper. He's like, I want you to write down what's, what would ruin your ministry. What, what is the way that Satan's going to use to take you out? What's your weakness? What's your temptation? Write it down. Now, that is a very nerve-wracking assignment because you're afraid he's going to have you turn it in. <laughs> yeah, and then he publishes it later. You're like, I don't want to talk about that, right? Here was his point. You have weaknesses. You have temptations. You're either going to pretend they don't exist or you look right at them. And if you look at them, what are you going to do about it? Is Satan really going to have that easy of a time knocking you out of ministry? You see, the Bible says we shouldn't be unaware of his schemes. Satan is constantly hunting around looking for an opening. Like, you, know, you guys remember in those old medieval things where people have armor? The only way to get through that is to find the spot where there's no armor, right? You got to get in between it somehow, that's what the enemy does. It says he seeks who he may devour. So he's going to be constantly sorting and sifting your life to find an opening. Because if he can take you down, you're going to knock down a bunch of people with you when you go down. And that's really what he wants. So the, the teacher was saying this. He's like, listen, what is your weakness? If you're going to lose your ministry, what's it going to be? And what are you going to do about it? You see, there's no way that Daniel was this bulletproof by accident. I'm going to venture to say that by the time he's 80, he's been working for decades closing the holes in his armor. Because if you just kind of go through life and go, I don't know, see how it goes, you're going to get taken out. That every day, you may not be able to solve all your problems today, but don't you think we should have a slow plan by which we can be closing up our weaknesses? That's kind of the calling of God, right? Hmm. So what's your weakness? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it power? What is it? Is it fame? Is it laziness? Is it fear? Is it depression? You see, sometimes our weakness is just how we're built. 
but sometimes it's character flaws that we have nurtured for years. What's your weakness? The king's weakness was pride, clearly. Why? He just fell for a plan that a bunch of guys came up to him and said, hey, you know what's a good plan? You'll be God for 30 days. And he was like, yes, I will. (laughs) Who says yes to that? That should never be a good plan. But when you're kind of full of yourself and somebody else, they can always take you out by flattery. Flattery goes a long way in the heart of a pride person, yeah? To a humble person, flattery is a little just irritating. Hmm. Daniel, his only opening for them, whether Satan knew a different one, we don't know, but these guys could only find one. It was either going to be his religion or nothing. So they tried to take him out that way. Daring to be different means giving Satan as few openings as possible. Daring to be different means giving Satan as few openings as possible. Pick it up in verse 10. When Daniel knew that this document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows and his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed. And he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Guess what they did with that information? They went and told on him and said, King, we got you. You can't revoke this. You put into play. Nobody gets to pray to anybody but you. Daniel prayed to his God. He's busted. We already had you sign the document that said if anyone does that, they get thrown in the lion's den. So you're stuck. That was their plan. And Daniel goes home and has the windows open. Why not just shut the shades? Right? I mean, you're going to go pray. You're still praying to the Lord, right? Why not just shut the windows? Is there anything offensive to God about shutting windows? Well, it depends on what you shut them for. You see, he never shut them before, so if he shut them today, why would he be shutting them? Fear and compromise. And he said, I can't do that. I am who I am. I either die or I live for God. Those are my only two options. And he went home and had the doors wide open and prayed three times a day in front of everybody like he always did. Hmm. Daniel was immovable. Now, there's some of us that love these stories because we have a rebellious streak, okay? I mean, man, there are some of us that love any stories in the Bible that are like thumb your nose at the authorities, right? And it's kind of like, yeah, take that, right? And we, we love all the, you know, oh, I remember when the apostles are like, like, I don't listen to you, I listen to God, and you know, the civil disobedience, and we're all pumped for it. Okay, real quick, let's all get on the same page. Let me tell you what civil disobedience is and is not. Civil disobedience is not, you get to do your own thing. Okay, yeah, amen, amen. If you're not God, you never get to do your own thing, right? There's no such thing as autonomy, Oh, I don't like that rule. It's stupid, so I'm going to do my own thing. That's actually not a Christian thing. That's just a human thing. So civil disobedience means you're always under some authority. Either you're under the authority that God put in place on earth, or you're under his authority in heaven. But you're never not under authority. You're never doing your own thing. 
You're doing either the leader's thing or you're doing God's thing. When you choose to violate the leaders who God put in place, you better have a direct link to why God authorized it. Because no matter what, it has to be signed off by an authority. Does that make sense? Because a lot of times we're like, yeah, and now I just get to do whatever I want. No, you don't. You're a Christian. You're a human. That means at all times you're checking in with the Lord, right? We always submit unto the Lord. All right, and then we find out Daniel gets in trouble because he lived out loud. He lived his Christianity out loud. Some of us avoid persecution because we're hidden Christians. I'm not quite sure that is a mark of honor. Hey, I've never been persecuted. Yeah, no one knows you're a believer. So of course they're not giving you any heat. You see, we're supposed to live out loud in such a way that people know we're a Christian, and then whatever happens, happens, right? But if it's this idea that people have interacted with you for years, and they still don't know you're a Christian, how is that possible? Like, isn't your Christianity your reality? It's not just a thing you do on the weekends, right? Like, that's, that doesn't make any sense. What, church is your Christianity? No, 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 no. Christianity is what you are, all the time. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 365 days a year, that's just how it goes. You're always Christian. It doesn't matter what your activities are, it's who you are. You are a child of God. I'm not sure how you do that secretly. It should come out in every decision you make. It should come out in almost every conversation you have, right? There should be a a flavor to how you live. And Daniel got in trouble for it. You see, daring to be different means adhering to God and letting the chips fall where they may. Adhering to God and letting the chips fall where they may. Let's pick it up in verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. And he set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. But the men, the bad guys, came in agreement to the king and they said, you know, this is the law of the Medes and Persian that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And he knew he was stuck. Verse 16, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with a signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. Talk about a boss freaking out about an employee, right? This guy who is, remember, he's a pagan. He's not a God follower. And he is so scared he's going to lose his best guy. Daniel was indispensable. How do we become indispensable to the people around us? You see, daring to be different means being a value to those around you. How do you do that? You get up every morning and you don't think about your day as much as you think about our day, 
right? So you get up in the morning and you're like, all right, I know what I gotta do, but how am I going to bring blessing to the people around me? If I'm gonna go into my workplace, how am I going to lift someone up? How am I going to encourage somebody? How am I gonna check on somebody? How am I gonna watch out over somebody's heart? How am I gonna make sure I make somebody smile? How am I going to be able to lift and bring a little hope into a hopeless place? How am I going to share Jesus today? When you do that, everybody around you starts to see value in you because you're about them. When you're about them, they don't want to be without you. That would be a drag. This king was like, I don't want to be without Daniel. When he's here, my life is better. And he did everything in his power to try to save him. So here's my questions. Would the people around you be scared to lose you? Not just your family. I'm talking about your neighbors, would they have this response if you moved? No, whoa, 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 no, you guys can't move. No, you're the only one in the neighborhood that ever says hi to me or checks in on me. You're the only ones that are super sweet to me. Man, you're the only ones that connect all of us together. If you leave, our neighborhood's gonna go downhill. What about your workplace? Hey man, I'm gonna move to a different job. No, you can't leave, you can't leave, you can't leave. You're the only one that brings cupcakes. You're the only one that asks me how I'm doing. You're the only one, I mean, you're a little weird. But you're always like, hey, can I pray for you? I don't even know what that means, but it's always really nice. I don't want you to go anywhere. You see, are you invaluable to the people around you? Let's pick it up in verse 20. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done you no harm. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. That's that powerful story. You guys, I'm so much of an analytic guy. I'm reading this story and the whole time I'm trying to think, how do lion's dens work? Like, how do you get the lion in, but then you gotta get the people in, but you don't get eaten when you put the people in. You understand what I'm saying? And where do you get the lions from? So, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do all this study, right? I'm wasting all this time trying to figure out how den of lions work, and, I'm, and I found out, well, there's, they usually had a side ramp where they would lower down into the ground, and that's where they put in the animals, and they would shut the door, but then they would lower the people down to the top, and then they would seal it by putting clay on the chains, and they'd sign it, so if anyone tried to save them, they would break the clay and blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. So what happened in that cave? He said, I'm okay. God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. I think it's fascinating how he said it that way. So how did that work? Who was in that den? Because if we're consistent with the book of Daniel, we already had a story like this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire, and suddenly what? A fourth guy shows up. Who was that fourth guy? Jesus pre-manger, 
right? Second person of God at all times, he was in there. So is it likely that Jesus went into that lion's den for Daniel? Probably. And maybe, maybe they just hung out all night. Maybe, what are you doing? I don't know, I'm just sitting here. What are you doing? Well, I'm being God. Oh, sweet. Tell me more about that. Like, I don't know if he was in there all night or if he went in before Daniel and rendered the lions harmless. Here's what I mean. Imagine, imagine Jesus comes in before Daniel gets there. Daniel's on his way and he shows up and he's like, all right, guys, my man is coming in. Nobody eats him. Are we clear on this? Simba, I'm looking at you. Simba's like, dude, I am not even hungry. Like, I, I ate last month, I'm good, I'm good, right? And he's like, Mufasa? Mufasa's like, even if a gazelle dropped in there, dude, I wouldn't even eat it. I wouldn't even eat it, I'm good, I'm good. He's like, all right, all right, leave him alone. The reason why that's important, actually, that's not in the Bible, but the reason, <laughs> the reason why that's important is by the time Daniel got to the den, the harm had been removed but he didn't know that. We always assume Daniel knew he was gonna survive, he didn't. I don't know if you're walking into a difficult situation or if you're in the den right now, but it's super scary. But Jesus went in first and he shut the mouths of the lions. You're still gonna go through the experience, but he rendered the enemy harmless. Who's gonna show up for you in your den? If you're a child of God, I can tell you exactly who's gonna show up for you. If you trust in the Lord, he will be with you in the most difficult times. He may be quiet, may be loud, he may feel tangible, he may feel distant, but he's always with his kids. You see, we read these stories, and I don't think we read them right. We always love the stories where, yeah, God comes in and beats up all the bad guys and does something radical and miraculous, but I don't think you're paying attention. There is no parting of the Red Sea if all the Israelites or Jews did not see a coming army of Egyptians who are going to kill their children. That's called desperation. There's no David killing Goliath unless the entire army believes they're going to die that day. The Bible says they were shaking in their armor. Everyone was scared out of their mind. It was a horrible situation. This whole idea of, you know, Jesus came and he calmed the wind and the storm. You don't have that unless you've got a boat full of disciples screaming, don't you care if we drown? These are horrible circumstances. And then the miracle comes. We all want the miracle without the desperation. We all want the miracle without the pain. We all want the miracle and the connection with God without having anything go wrong. Every one of our prayers is, God, don't let anything bad happen. Okay, so let's play that game. Do you guys remember when you were on that plane and it crashed and everyone died but you? Oh, that's right, it didn't happen. So have you been giving God praise for that? Nope, because it didn't happen. Stuff that doesn't happen is not bonding. It is not connective. It does not create relationship. There's a ton of stuff that you haven't gone through. There's tons of stuff God has protected you from, and you have no relationship with him. 
It's the bad stuff that hit and God walked with you through it that is bonding. The only reason you have a relationship with him is you've walked in the garbage, in the fear, in the grief, in the loss, and he walked with you. But boy, it's hard to be in there, huh? Scary. The saints never knew they were going to live. And you don't either. That's why we're scared. Our mindset has to be that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chapter 3, verse 17. King, know this before you throw us in the fire. Our God can save us from this fire. And one way or another, he's going to deliver us. But I'm telling you this. Even if he doesn't, I'm not going your way. I may die today, but I can't go your way. Because they didn't know they weren't going to burn alive. They felt the heat, and they were scared. But God came through. We keep thinking that if we were better Christians, we wouldn't be afraid of anything. That's not human. Some of us misread the Bible. Let's take a look at that last uh, line in verse 23. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. We read that and we're like, boom, promise. Writing it on a refrigerator magnet. Boom, put that one on. Right? That's what he told me. If I trust in God, nothing bad happens to me. If I trust in God, nothing will happen to me. If I trust in God, nothing will happen to me. That is not what the Bible said. Too many of us are going through crises of faith that we don't need to go through because we keep saying, God, you let me down, and he always responds, when? Will you let bad stuff happen to me? Hey, when did I tell you bad stuff wasn't going to happen to you? I never wrote that down. Yeah, it said right here. No, that's a fact. That's not a promise. The reason Daniel was delivered is he happened to be connected to a God who can deliver. That's what it just said. And we're like, well, if I do everything right, you're going to protect me and I'm not going to have any problems. He never signed that document. Until we can reconcile one of the mind-boggling passages in Scripture that comes out of Acts chapter 12, we're going to wrestle with crisis of faith. Here's the story. Acts chapter 12. King Herod killed James, one of the apostles, with the sword, the, son, the brother of John. Seeing that it pleased the people, he arrested Peter as well to do the same thing. But that night, Peter's in prison, and an angel comes and lets him out. So here's your question. Why did God pull through for Peter and not James? He let James die. I imagine while they're coming to James with a sword, James is like, at any moment, God, here you go. Here you go. And then nothing. Why let James die and Peter live? Until you can reconcile that in your head, you're going to constantly question the nature of God. Here's what the answer has to be. God has an individual plan and walk for every single one of us, and you cannot compare. You can't look and go, but they didn't, but how come I have to, but they never have to worry about, they didn't have to wrestle with, they don't have this, they don't have, you can't do that. Complete different apples, oranges, not the same thing. 
It's not about I loved Peter more than James. As a matter of fact, James was translated to glory instantaneously. Peter ended up dying later and was martyred as well, but he lived through a little bit more difficulty first. So who does God love the most? He loves us all the same, but we have a different life to walk, and it's unique. But it's so hard when we hurt, when we hurt, when we hurt. God, why would you let this happen? Why would you let this happen? Why would you let this happen? Well, there's a part that we always miss about the story. God let Daniel get thrown in the lion's den. Why didn't the story go like this? And then he was going to go in the lion's den, but then someone was like, stop. Right? It didn't go that way. God let him get thrown in with all the fear that he was going to get eaten by lions. Why would he do that? There's gotta be one answer. Because there's a blessing in the hole. Or he would never let his kids get thrown in there. And if there's not a blessing in the hole, God will put one there. How do we know that? Because we all pray, God, get me out And he says, I will get you through. Why? Because there's bonding in the through, not in the out. You guys, the point is not, will we have trial? The point is, who are we walking the trial with? Because God is the one to hold our hands because he's not afraid of lions. God's not afraid of cancer. God's not afraid of terrorism. God's not afraid of COVID. God's not afraid of anything. And he knows how to put blessing where blessing isn't. But I'll tell you this, the main reason why he does all the things he does in our life is to bond us with him because relationship is always the point. Survival's not the point. Avoidance isn't the point. Relationship is the point. Listen to how this closes out. Verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. Let's pause. Oh, I love that guy, that that, that Persian guy. He was so hot, so cute. I married him. Oh, wait, now I'm regretting that decision as you die. Okay, moving on. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Huh, how did that work out? The lions all look at Jesus and go, we can eat them, right? And he was like, go. They were like, I was totally lying. I'm starving. Wham! Just took them all out, right? Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall never come to an end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. How about that for a praise report from a pagan? Man! So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Question for you. Let's keep our hero straight. 
Who's the hero of the story, Daniel or God? It's God. This story isn't even about Daniel. What did Daniel do? Nothing but have a weird safari experience. It wasn't, man, Daniel pulled himself up by his bootstraps. Boy, was he tough, and he fought those lions. There's none of that. He just was scared, and God rescued him. You see, a whole bunch of us, when we go through difficulty, people are trying to be encouraging to us. So they come up to us, and they're like, man, if I was in your spot, I wouldn't do as good. You must have way more strength than me. And all of us want to scream, I'm just hanging on. I don't have extra strength. That's not the point. The point of my story is not that I'm stronger. The point is my God is with me. Daring to be different means promoting the name of Jesus more than our own. The story isn't about Daniel. It's about God. Y'all, I'm going to give you the prayer prompt for today. The prayer prompt for today, you guys have been getting those texts, and we get them to you every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But for today, here's your prayer prompt. Lord, where am I compromising and costing you glory? Lord, where am I compromising and costing you glory? Because I'll tell you this, this story never ends with a king issuing an edict to all of a godless empire about how great God is. None of that happens unless Daniel took a stand for God in the first place. Glory comes when we follow the Lord, yeah? Here's how we're gonna close out and pray. There are some of us in the den right now and I'm gonna pray that you would be delivered. I don't know if that's sickness, I don't know if that's loss, I don't know if that's grief, I don't know if that's a marriage situation, I don't know what it is, but I know that in your desperation you've been crying out and heaven seems silent So maybe you'll allow the rest of us to carry you today. We'll call on heaven for your behalf because you don't have much faith anymore. I get it. Is that all right? Can we pray about that? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, I lift up my friends and my family here and I ask God that for those that are so scared and wonder if they can make it through today or tomorrow, I pray that you would give them strength and boldness and courage. I pray, Lord, that if there is nothing valuable left in their trial, you would remove it in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for a lifting up out of the pit. You took Daniel out of the pit. You took Job out of the pit. And Lord, they were terrible times. They lasted a while. But God, at some point, you called an end to their suffering. So I'm praying, Lord, if there is nothing good in the pit, would you lift us out of the pit right here, right now? That, Lord God, there would be breakthrough, that there would be a transformation, that there would be something where we just lift our arms up to you, Lord, and we say, pick us up, Dad. And you would lift us out of it, God, that we might not suffer needlessly anymore. God, heal us. Restore us, protect us. Lord, I don't know if the situation is financial, relational, social, I don't know. All I know is that you know. And God, right now our hearts are crying for rescue and we ask that you would do so. And Lord, when you rescue us, we will proclaim your glory. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.